Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Our desire is to unleash a family of healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Well, this is the fourth installment of our series, The Gospel in First Thessalonians. Up until now, we have talked about this gospel community and that in this gospel community are people who have been changed by the gospel, who are anchored in the gospel, and who cares for another, one another because of the gospel. Now, if you have been following along through the book of Thessalonians, Paul is about to make this shift. Up until now, he has been talking about personal reflections on the men and women a part of the Thessalonica community. Now he's about to move from personal reflection to now practical living. How do we live in this gospel community? And unlike the other preachers, I have the opportunity of talking about sex. I don't know how my day fell on this because I needed to take my daughter to college, but I have to talk about sex. So if there are some youth in the room and parents, you have not talked to your um, loved ones about sex, uh, I will keep it ready to eat, but I will have to be biblical. One of the best gifts that you can give your children is telling them the truth. Because if you don't tell them the truth, the world will. And it will be laced in their truth. Right, and so I have an awesome opportunity of preaching this. You praying for me, Miss Annie? All right, let's pray. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your word. Um, as we wait on the return of our King, Father, we just pray that you would give us the stamina, the the perseverance, Father, to endure making disciples while we wait. But Father, would you give me the word of truth? to pierce into some of the brokenness of sexual sin, both in our culture and in us personally, to help bring or to free or to release somebody from this bondage. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray that all the saints say. I want to take you behind the curtains of the Greco-Roman world. And the reason why I think it's important to see behind the curtain is because it gives, you, it gives you understanding of why Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians trying to tell them how to live in this gospel community in regards to sexual purity. All right, let me pull back the curtains. One Greek statesman said, we keep mistresses for pleasure concubines for our day-to-day bodily needs, but we have wives to produce legitimate children and serve as trustworthy guardians in our homes. That's one statesman in the Greek world says, hey, I got concubines, I got wives, I got a girlfriend on our side, but I have a purpose for all of them. Cicero, another Roman statesman says, Let not pleasure always be forbidding. Let desire and pleasure trump something over reason. 
He continues to say, if anyone thinks that a young man should be forbidding to have affairs with prostitutes, he is very strict indeed. For his view is contrary not only to the law of the present age, but even with the habits of our ancestors and with what they used to consider allowable. When is this not a common practice? When was it blamed? When was it forbidding? When, in fact, did that which was lawful become that which was not lawful? Mm. He said, this is a free fall. This is Playboy Mackin before Hugh Hefner, right? Here's another one. Antipater of Thessalonica. Let's go into the Greco world here. Homer said all things well, but best of all, that Epaphrodites, which is the patron of prostitute, is golden. For if you bring the cash, my friend, there is neither a porter in your path nor a dog chained at the door. But if you come otherwise, he himself is there. In other words, young men were permitted to have sexual relation in any form, in any way, before marriage. End of the Greco-Roman world. I share all those quotes with you, and I could have given you more, but the question that has to be on the tip of your tongue and even going around in your mind, how is our culture any different? When you hear what was behind the scenes in the Greco world, how is that any different from the world that we live in? Divorce rates are off the charts. Pornography for both men and women, right, for both men and women have rewired the brain, causing our brothers and sisters pleasure sensors to be dull that they're no longer attracted to skin but a screen. Gender dysphoria used to be a health diagnosis that was used to help people and to care for people. Now gender dysphoria is designed to unlock who you really are. We use terms like hookup. We use terms like sneaky links. That's when you hook up with somebody behind the person that you are dating. We even watch shows that are designed to show us that someone else is cheating. And we watch these things on YouTube like, oh man, why, why did he do her like that? Or why did she do him like that? But have you stopped for a minute to think like, hold on, they're not even married. They're participating in something and we're having sympathy for them because somebody got cheated on, but all of a sudden you begin to realize but they're going outside of the design of God. There's no covenant there. There's no commitment there. How are you cheating on somebody that you never signed a, a covenant with? There's a disconnect somewhere. See, what we have allowed is Hollywood, not heaven, to define what sex is. We have allowed the culture not Christ, to define 
what sex is. And as a result of all these systems of this world, we have robbed God of what he has called good in sex. God calls sex good. He doesn't call it bad. All you got to do is go back to Genesis chapter 1. Everything that God has created is good. So what happened? Well, I was listening to this older gentleman. This older gentleman, he kept, he kept using this acronym. He kept saying G-T-T-B. He saw this guy eating a candy apple. He was like, G-T-T-B. He saw this commercial with this lady laying on the car as they were kind of promoting this car. And he was like, G-T-T-B. All right? All of a sudden, I was like, bro, why, what, what does G-T-T-B mean? He says, good things turn bad. He says, when I see that candy apple, all I see is rotten teeth and diabetes. <laughs> this is what he's saying. He says, when I see the young lady being objectified, I'm not mad at the attraction of the lady, but all of a sudden she's being used for lust. And he goes around GTTB. And it dawned on me, isn't that what Satan has done to us? He has taken the good things of God and turned it to bad. He has taken the things that God has said that is good and has shaped it in a way that gives us empty promises. See, the reason why I tell you about the Greco-Roman world is not to show that there was a society as bad as our society. No, I tell you that because when I think about the lies that have been in the past and how we continue to do things in opposition of God's design, it baffles me. That Satan continues to break up families. That Satan continues to create this, this lust that cannot be satisfied outside of God's design. There's a brother from my hometown he has 26 kids by 14 different women. And his response was, but all my kids know me. I said, impossible. Impossible. But when you start pulling back the curtains in his life, you begin to realize it is a continuation of what his father did it is a continuation of what his father's father did. And it's a continuation of what his father's father's fathers did. And so when Paul is writing this letter to this gospel communion, he's not writing it from a place of shame. If you are feeling that angst of shame in your heart, I'm telling you that's not what Paul is doing and that's not what I'm doing. Now, if you are feeling conviction, that means God is calling you to himself. Paul writes this letter for freedom. He's writing this letter telling those who have put their faith alone and Christ alone that you no longer have to live contrary to God's design. That God has something better for you. 
that you are a special instrument in the hands of the righteous one, and he wants to use you in such a way that you can enjoy all his good pleasures. Whether it is eating or drinking, do all these things to the glory of God. So if shame is on your table, that's not of God, that's the enemy. You came here today to be free of those bondages, to be free of those chains. And today, I think Paul is answering a very valuable question. How do we please God with sexual purity? Right? How do we please God with sexual purity? I like what Ryan was saying in regards to communion. No matter if you walking in righteousness or wilding, man, Begin to understand what it means to have fellowship and community with God, right? So how, like, how do we please God in our sexual purity? And I think you're going to discover a couple of things. The first thing I think you will discover is that we please God in sexual purity by keeping away from sexual immorality. We please God in sexual purity by by making sure that we are running to God, not away from God. So how do we parse these things apart? Well, let me begin this track then. The first thing I think we need to understand is we please God in sexual purity by our faith in Jesus. By our faith in Jesus. The reason why I want to start there is because I don't want you to turn this thing into a behavior modification class, right? You can't get to this act of purity unless you go in and through Jesus, right? You, you, you can't navigate this, this, this demonic thing that has been used for darkness unless you are in Jesus, proximity, and through Jesus, power, right? Listen to what Paul says in verses 1 and 2. He says, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instructions from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Notice twice he used Jesus as the anchor. The first anchor was in Jesus. If you're going to navigate this, you have to ask yourself, have you drawn near to Jesus? Have you repented and put your faith alone in Christ alone, right? Because you got to go through a transformation, you got to go through a metamorphosis to overcome that. He said, the first thing I want you to know is, are you in Jesus? The second thing he says, through Jesus. I like that one more. He says, in order for you to navigate this pathway of purity, you have to understand that Jesus is the one leading the way. I like being directed by Jesus. All right? I like being led by Jesus. My wife likes when I'm led by Jesus. Oftentimes, when I want to do my own thing, she be like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> but when she say, what did Jesus say? And I start spitting those scriptures, she be like, let's go, baby, let's go. 
right? He says if we're going to understand this pathway, then it's in Jesus and through Jesus. But what is he instructing us on then, right? What is he calling us to? Well, the text tells us how to please God. The word, God, the word please here is an interesting word because it talks about the source of one's satisfaction. The reason why I say interesting, because Paul is doing a word play right here. He's talking about sexual purity, and he's talking about satisfaction in God. And I think what he's trying to communicate is you cannot have sexual purity apart from satisfaction in Jesus. <laughs> right? Like, you cannot get sexual purity if you are skipping or jumping over the design of God. See, that's why we keep having so many partners, whether it's skin or screen, is because we're trying to fill a hole that only Jesus can fill. Oh, my goodness. See, oftentimes we're trying to piggyback off of somebody else's fantasy, and we keep falling short. That's why you can feel that instant gratification, but as soon as it's over, you feel nothing. You feel shame. He says, I want to teach you how to have satisfaction in God so that you might have satisfaction in his design for intimacy. Oh, that is a beautiful wordplay right there. God has called believers to be pleased in him so that you might be pleased in others. The problem with this text, though, is some people frown on the idea that we can please God, you know? And the reason why they frown on the idea that we can please God is first, they talk about we sinners. We imperfect, man. We, we can't please God, man. We, 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 we're too off the mark. Another thing they do is what uh, Pastor Ryan refers to as good theology. Well, yeah, we can please God because of Jesus' perfection, right? We can please God. He, he's not talking about behavior. He's not talking about doing. He's talking about perfection in Jesus, which negates the text. The text says, Live should live and please God. The word live here means to walk. It comes from the Hebrew word halak. It comes from the Greek word peripateo, and it simply means putting your feet in front of another. And it's talking about continuously. Every time you walk up, put your feet down, put the next one in front of it, right? So he's talking about a continuous thing. The second thing you see in the text is doing. Let me make sure our theology is correct. See, when Jesus justifies us, he justifies us so that we might do good works. See, when Jesus transforms us, he justifies us by giving us the faith, the fuel to be faithful in what he has called us in. That's good theology. All throughout Scripture, Paul has been telling different gospel communities how to please God. Can I give you some of these? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, our aim to be pleasing to him. 
in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I, I hear some amens by the par um, parents in here. <laughs> that your child's obedience is something that is pleasing to the Lord. And if you are a child in here, watch this. If you are disobedient to your parents, you don't have to worry about your parents spanking you. Now, all of a sudden, you become an enemy of God. See, in the Old Testament, you know what they used to do to um, disobedient children? They used to take them out, and the whole community used to stone them. Do you think that's motivation to get you? <laughs> Look at the parents like, man, I wish that was, man. We don't do that no more. We in Jesus now, right? We don't do that no more, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. I like that one because it suggests that being pleasing to God produces fruit. It produces something that not only you can eat on, but those around you can eat on as well. And you can plant some more, producing the fruits of the Spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, First of all, then I urge that the petition, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all of godliness and dignity. Verse 3, this is good and it pleases our God and Savior. Paul has been teaching gospel communities that it is right and it is attainable to please the Lord for those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are led by Christ Jesus, right? But how? Like, how does this, how does this work? How, how can we pinpoint that we are pleasing towards God? And I'm going to give you two texts, and I'm going to end this point. The first one is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We've heard this passage before. It literally says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. What he is suggesting that if we are going to please God, it is when we are walking in the faith, the dependency, and the trust of Christ. This is good because sometimes sexual deviance is about your desire, not about Christ's desire. He says, you know you are pleasing God by walking in your faith with Christ. Well, did Paul say this in 1 Thessalonians, the book that we're in? He sure did. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We will call in the presence of our God and Father your works produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. He says you can please God. And the way that you please God is make sure that you are rooted in Christ. And he becomes your foundation. He becomes your motivation. He is the one who becomes your hope causing you to go further. Now hold on to that hope because at the end Paul is going to do something tricky about your why. We please God in sexual purity 
by our faith in Jesus. So how does this work then? How does this all pan out? Because Paul moves from being very general to now he's about to be very specific. How do we please God in sexual purity? Three ways. Keep away, control, and do not take advantage. Repeat after me. Keep away, control, do not take advantage. Let's deal with the first one. We please God in sexual purity by keeping away from sexual immorality. Let me make a strong point right here. If we want to know what pleases God, it is our holiness. And we know that we are walking in holiness when we are keeping away from sexual immorality. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, for this is God's will, your sanctification. Most of us are constantly looking for God's will, right? Most of us are walking around the world like, man, I wish I knew what God's will was. Go to First Thessalonians. He just tells you that God's will is that we might be sanctified. That God's will is that we are walking in sanctification. The word God's will or the phrase God will is what we call a subjective genitive. You don't have to remember that, but what you do have to remember is that a subjective genitive suggests that which God desires. That if you want to walk in God's will, do what he wants. Right? If you want to walk in God's will, then understand what his desire is. Isn't that what Jesus used to say? I'm here to do my father's will. Isn't that what Jesus says, that anyone who wants to follow me would do my father's will? In fact, uh, on Martin, anybody watch the Martin show? Remember the character Tommy? One of the gags on Tommy was that he did not have a job, right? Y'all remember that? He did not have a job. Well, after the show went to syndication and he was doing his own thing or whatever, Tommy was known for his philanthropy and also his mentoring. And so one day he was given a speech and he used the tagline, I know y'all think that I don't have a job, but I do have a job and my job is to do the will of my father. How is Tommy, because that was his actual name, both in the TV, how is Tommy getting it right and sometimes Christians get it wrong? That to do the will of the Father is to do what he desires. Well, what does he desire? Right? What pleases the Lord? And he tells you in verse 3, it is our sanctification. Now, sanctification is one of those big theological words that I wish that this translation did not use, but I understand why they used it. Right? See, sanctification means purification. It means consecration, but it also means holiness, right? Holiness has a two-pronged understanding. First, holiness means to be set apart. It means to be set apart as something that is special. It, it, it means that this item is so valuable that only those who are worthy can touch it. This is how God sees you. 
This is how God sees you. God sees you as a special instrument that only those who are worthy can touch you. But it also means you are against something. See, holiness just can't walk in any space. Holiness can't just be touched by anything. See, when Paul says that his desire is so that we might be holy, he's saying that it is suggesting that anything that is in contrast to God, we back away from. In fact, real holiness, when you walk in a room, it causes everybody else to back up. Y'all saw P.J. Crawford got a new car, right? You see, he parking on the other end of the parking lot. He don't want nobody touching his car. I'm like, dude, Doc, I got to keep this thing clean. Bro. I got to keep this thing clean. I'm just playing. That's not what P.J. doing. Drew drove his car the other day, but he had to beg and had to sign a contract before he did it. Right? That's holiness. Right? You, you value this instrument, but you're also putting it in such a position that it is in opposition to anything that deflects the character of God. Here's another thing about holiness. Holiness or sanctification is a process, not an achievement. Right? It's a process, not an achievement. You don't arrive at holiness. Right? You don't get to a place where you're like, ooh, I done met. No. Holiness is a process. It is a sanctification that is constantly happening in your life. That's why he refers to it as a walk. He doesn't say run in the Christian faith. He says walk, right? Walk should help you understand, oh, there's something up ahead. Walk should cause you to be alert. Walk should cause you to be cautious and careful. Walk allows you to feel all the senses of your feet so that you can be firm and, and, and stand grounded when things on the outside are moving. Holiness is not an achievement. It's a process. Pastor Sears talks about snap judgments. Oftentimes, I think we make snap judgments about those who are in Christ before we get to know them. Why is he stumbling? Why is she stumbling? Have you gotten to know them so you understand how far they have gotten? <laughs> Sometimes, man, somebody has come a long way. And if you hear they serve, um, their story, you're like, nah, they all right, bro. They, they all right. See, somewhere along the line, when we became a Christian, man, we got uppity. We forgot how far God brought us. We forgot how far, what God brought us out of. All of a sudden, we don't want to sit by nobody. We don't want to talk to nobody. And Jesus is like, bro, do you remember who you were? You used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of powers of the air? Do you remember who you were? That you were dead in your trespasses and sin? See, holy things causes things to move when you walk in a prayer. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. When I saw PJ's car, the first thing I said, I was like, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's real nice, bro. Are those 20-inch rims on there? He like, yeah, doc, they gave me 20s out here. <laughs> is that what the world is saying about you as a follower of Jesus? That's a person you can talk to. That's a person who will pray for you. That's a person who will see you. That's a person who will sit down and have dinner with you. Is that what we're saying? When he talks about the holy things of God, 
So what does it look like, according to this letter, of being holy? He says, keeping away from sexual immorality. Notice what he says, that we will keep away from sexual immorality. The verb keep away means to abstain, right? That you will abstain from sexual immorality. But there's something special about this verb. See, this verb is what we call the middle voice. I know we don't have this in English quite well, but the middle voice suggests that something externally is being done to the object that gives it the power to perform the task. I'm going to say that again. The middle voice suggests that the subject is being powered by something on the outside and that thing on the outside that's giving it power also gives it the ability to perform the task. Why is that important in sexual purity? Because you need Christ on the outside to bring the Holy Spirit on the inside to give you the power to perform the task. You see why this isn't just behavior modification? God says, it is my deal, so it's going to be my bill. Right? It is my desire, so I'm going to give you my power to perform it. He says, keep away from sexual immorality because I'm giving you the power to do it. That's why some of you walked in here and you feel defeated. Jesus says, why? I can give you the transformation and I can give you the power to overcome it. Now, he does say sexual immorality. The Greek word here is pornea. Pornea is the word we get from pornography, right? But this word is long, right? Not only is it talking about pornography, but it's talking about fornication. It's talking about bestiality. It's talking about homosexuality. It's talking about polygamy. It's talking about, uh, what, what's the new stuff they're doing? Po uh, what is it called? Po polyamorism, right? Polyamorism. I can't deal with the wife I have right now. Why am I going to bring some other people into the house? <laughs> I can only love one. And love that person well. I got five kids and I'm constantly like, hey, let's do a group date, y'all. Let's do a group date. Let's do a group date. Right? He says, I want you to abstain from all sexual sin, all sexual activity. Anything that is against my design of marriage in a heterosexual union is off limits. It's off limits. He says, if you want to walk in holiness, then keep away from sexual immorality. Here's the second way to please God. We please God in sexual purity by controlling our body and our desire. Our body and our desire. Look at verse 6. He says that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Notice the two words that jump out. He says know and control. See, Jesus is not asking you to do something that he hasn't already um, given you the authority to do. Right? 
See, no it here isn't a cognitive thing. It is an experiential thing. Jesus says, the things that I have accomplished on the cross, the things that I have overcome on the cross, I am giving those things to you, and you know these things. Secondly, he uses the word control, which suggests that you can take possession of that very thing that is coming against you. Oh, man, I love it. He says, the reason why you shouldn't walk in this is because you know the right thing to do, and you have the power to do that which is right. God ain't leading you out here by yourself. He knows the temptations that we are going through. We have a high priest that is sympathetic with us in all of our temptation, and yet he did not sin. Now, oftentimes when people read that, they're like, man, Jesus can't understand what I'm going through because he never sinned. No, he overcame sin. Right. It said that he was tempted and tested like us. So he knows what it's like to be overcome with sin, but he overcame it. How is it that Jesus is telling you I have overcome sin and all those who are in Christ take on my righteousness. So I, too, am giving you the power to overcome. Oh. When I look at this passage, I get excited because he's saying, you know me. And you have control over your body and over your passion. You didn't used to have this, but now you do. How can Paul be so certain that we can overcome and keep away from sin and also have control of our body? I think he gives us two answers. The first one is personal knowledge in the culture and then personal knowledge of God. Let me show you. Notice he says, not lustful passions like the Gentiles. The reason why I say personal knowledge of the culture, when you look out in the culture and you see how the culture have deviated from God's design, tell me how that has worked out. It hasn't. Paul is saying you can look out into your culture and see how the civilization itself is falling apart. Let me make it personal. In the black community alone, 80% of households are without fathers? And you wonder why they join gangs and cults? 80%? In the black home, now, listen, we can do some gymnastics because black fathers are in the home. I think that statistic is a little too high, so let me be clear on that. But it's too high. It shouldn't be like that, that every person that you are walking into, at least one out of three men, grew up without a father. That's too high. One of the joys of having five children is I get a chance to be a dad, man. I love being a daddy, man. Right now, I get the joy of my little one saying, Daddy's home. See, my older ones, they done got too tall. <laughs> they done got way too tall, right? As soon as I come to the door, she be like, Daddy home. And then she start running. She run like Naruto. She put her arms behind her back. I- I'm going to change that when she turned two. But right now, she doing this or whatever, right? I love it. Daddy's home. My older ones, they be on the couch like, what up, Dad? <laughs> I'm like, oh, how you doing too? We just bought Karis a car. Now it's, hey, thank you, Daddy. Oh, now you can say what's up. Right? 
But when you look at the culture and how it is falling apart, it's an indication that doesn't work. But more importantly, he says, now because you know God. Now because you know God. I didn't know what was wrong until I met God. I didn't know what brought pain and destruction and darkness into our new God. Everything that I have learned about life was the time I said, Jesus, yes to your will. Jesus, yes to your lordship. Jesus, yes, I surrender to you. And all of a sudden, I can see. I can see. If you want the formula to overcoming sexual addiction, right, one of the things I think is worthy to apply scripture here is James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. Now, notice the formula. Submit yourself to God. There is a surrendering that has to happen if you are going to overcome these things. But notice, your surrendering is to Jesus, not to yourself. Your surrendering is not to a program, it's to Jesus. The program is a tool. Jesus is the power. Right? And then he says, resist the devil. I'm not saying that these images, I'm not saying these things are not going to come back in your face. They will. Because the Bible says that Satan is waiting for an opportune time. Right? He's waiting for an opportune time. But what I do know is that Satan is not powerful than God. And so when you resist him and Christ, he'd be like, man, whatever, bro. He just, I'm good. I'm good. I, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> Here's the third one. We please God in sexual purity by not taking advantage of a spiritual sibling. Now, this one is deep, y'all, right here. This one threw me off a little bit. Let me read the text first. He says in verse 6, this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses and we also previously told and warned you. There are two things that jump out in this text when I read it. First of all, I did not know it was a crime to take advantage in sexual activity with your brother or sister. Like, like what? no, look at the text. He literally says, you transgress. That is a divine violation. And then he doubled down and says, and you take advantage. He literally is saying, you are defrauding your brother or sister when you participate in this. I'm like, that's a crime. That not only is your holiness against God when you are participating in sexual uh, activity, he says, but you are also against your brother or sister. And then it gets worse because then it turns Jesus into an avenger. Look at the text. It says, because the Lord is an avenger. I thought Captain America was first. And this text is saying Jesus is. All jokes aside, the thing that brings me most comfort in reading this is simply that God is just. That God will defend. That God will protect. I know some of us have been through some horrible, 
horrible things. And I know the future of Jesus bringing forth judgment don't always bring you comfort, but can I assure you, they will not get away with what they have done to you. They will not. Some of these acts have happened at a small, small, small age. And my heart breaks to know that you have been through this. But if I can give you any ounce of hope, God says, I will avenge. I will protect. I will intervene. If we are going to build this gospel community in such a way that brings glory and honor to God, he says, walk in holiness and sexual purity. Now, I thought I could just end this sermon on that. I was like, oh, that's good. But Paul does something very weird because he tells you the how, and then he comes back and tells you the why. And I was like, Paul, why did you start with the how before you told us the why? And it dawned on me, Michael Jr., the comedian, he does great comedy. He has like dry humor, very dry humor, but he's so funny. But he says something that stuck with me. He says, when you know your why, your what has more impact. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you are walking in and towards your purpose. And it clicked. Your why is what is going to motivate you to sexual purity. Your why is what's going to continue the struggle, the journey, the overcoming to sexual purity once you know your why. So what is the why? And I wrote a couple of things down. But in verse 7 and 8, he says this, For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. In these two passages, he tells you the why. The first why we had already discovered, and it is simply this. We seek sexual purity to please God. That's our aim. That's our why. We want to make much of Jesus, right? We want to make much of our King. The second thing, according to this passage, we seek sexual purity because we are a special instrument of God. That's why he says live by holiness. You are special. You are a special instrument that God is using for his kingdom, for his glory, for his honor. Your motivation is because you understand your value. The third thing is we seek sexual purity because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Notice the last part. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that the Holy Spirit has taken residency in you? When Paul talks about your body, he compares it to the temple. 
And the reason why he compares it to the temple is because the Spirit of God no longer resides in brick and mortar. Now he resides in our bodies. That he takes up residency in us. If we could comprehend that the Holy Spirit says, my dwelling place, my house, is now in your heart. Would you let just anybody in? Would you let just any old thing come through? I'm still struggling with hospitality, which means to welcome. But anytime somebody come around my house, I'm, I'm sweeping. I'm sweeping like that. We had our youth event at my house. And this is going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to shame the devil and tell the truth. I'm sweeping. I'm wiping off the, um, the counter. My wife walking in the house, she's like, oh, it's city youth. It's city youth coming over to here. <laughs> it's city youth coming. I'm like, don't say that. I clean up around here. Can you imagine if you valued your temple with the realization that the Spirit of God resides in you, that you would treat it in its holy manner? And here's the last one I think is, is a witness. It's not in the text, but it's something I written down. But I think it's a witness to the culture, right? We seek sexual purity to show the world God's perfect design for sex. Right? The world is desperately trying to find love. The world is desperately trying to find connection. The world is desperately trying to find commitment. What if we model God's design to a world that desperately desires Jesus? Maybe that will bring forth the type of communities, the type of neighborhoods, the type of men, the type of women, the type of husbands, the type of wives, the type of children that is worthy to be in God's kingdom. Right? Here's what I want to do. I want us to pray together. I want us to pay together as the choir comes to the stand. I want us to pray together. Some of you all in here are struggling with sexual um, sin, right? And I don't want you to come up here and get shamed or nothing like that. We don't know what you're going through. But, man, please allow us to pray with you, right? And if you need somebody to talk to after this, man, can, I, I would love to have lunch I would love to have breakfast. I would love to have dinner to walk with you. You don't have to walk in this thing alone. So can we pray with and for you? And watch this. This is not only happening among singles. This is also happening in marriages. Just because you get married don't mean you are free from sexual immorality. All right? We want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to help you to enjoy the design that God has given you. We want to remind you of being a special instrument. Now, for some of you, you want that power. You need that power, and you are not a follower of Jesus. Can we share the good news of Jesus Christ with you? Can we help you move from darkness into his marvelous light? As the prayer team comes together, all I'm asking you to do is do not leave this place the same way that you came in. Let us pray together as we contemplate. Thank you again for listening to the Disciple City Church podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.